Hey guys, welcome to the Filming with Josh podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Milligan, and today we're going to talk about contracts. Now, I know that contracts are not sexy, and they're definitely not the thing that gets you out of bed in the morning. However, contracts are the backbone of business, and today I want to talk about why you should have a contract, when you should have a contract, and what all you should have in your contract. So if you're in video production in any way, shape, or form, big or small, this podcast is for you. This is the Filming with Josh podcast, brought to you by Rustic River Media. Welcome to the videographer's home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. All right, guys, I know it's been a while since I've got a podcast out the door. I, um, man, I've just been... I've been eaten alive with work and just so many things going on. I have a lot of irons in the fire right now, and it's just been crazy um, trying to figure out my fall schedule, trying to figure out my summer schedule still, trying to figure out you know where I'm going to be and when, and trying to crank out jobs in the meantime, and trying to fill out contracts. And it seems like I've spent, oh my gosh, better part of most of my weeks lately filling out contracts, which is why I really wanted to do a podcast about that today. Um, contracts, I haven't always done contracts. When I was younger in business and I, I was first really getting started, I didn't I didn't have contracts. And I definitely uh, got snake bit a couple times for it. Um, not necessarily because a company or a person was the one doing the biting, but more or less the circumstance. If you don't have a contract, you're opening up a world of potential problems. And it doesn't matter if you're doing business with a large corporation or your best friend. Contracts, not only do do contracts protect you and the other person involved, but contracts also, uh, they protect friendships, they protect relationships because they keep everything in check and they keep expectations where they should be. If you don't have a contract to refer to, then you're opening up the doors of what ifs and and he said, she said, and, and that's never a good place to be. I Several times this has happened to me from not outlining um, who owns the rights to the footage or who gets the raw content or you know, um, where, you know, what, what the payment schedule should be, what expenses are covered, what you're actually even purchasing. I mean, there's so many different things that are involved in a contract. And when I was first getting started, I I ran into some of these problems realizing, well, we never really outlined how long the video would be, or we never really outlined how many graphics there would be, or we never really outlined who owns what. And so it opens up a lot of potential problems. And again, even if you're working with your best friend, it doesn't matter. Those problems can still come up. But if you have a contract to refer to, then those problems never really become problems, or at least they get minimized because you can always refer back to the contract that you both agreed to. And it's hard to dispute that. So early on in my business, I I really realized this and I realized the importance of having a contract and, and really what it did to preserve relationships. And so I started creating contracts and I've been morphing my contracts ever since. Um, My contract that I have today, I even added something just last week. I feel like I'm constantly adding things in my contract and changing things around because you're going to run into more issues or, or, or more problems down the road that you never really thought about. And so you go in and you add it in the contract. And I've talked to a lot of people in this business who, um, who get contracts like me, and 
they, they'll tell you the same thing. You know, their contract is always evolving, always changing. And I'm willing to bet that that's probably the same for pretty much any business out there. Um, but specifically for the video world, which is the business I'm into, I know that in the video world, things are constantly changing. Um, whether it's because you discover new potential things that should have been outlined or because the industry itself is changing and there's new expectations and there's new uh, new, new technologies and new new this or that. And so you're constantly having to update your contract to keep up with it. But there are certain things in your contract that should be uh, pretty much a staple that should be in every contract you do. So now that we've covered the importance of a contract, I now want to talk about when you should have a contract. And for me, this is really easy. You should have a contract anytime money changes hands for a product. It's that, it's that simple. If someone's paying you to do something for them, video-wise, you need to have a contract. It doesn't matter if the job is a $500 job or a $200 job or a $5,000 or $20,000 or $30,000 or $40,000 or $50,000 job or above, you know, depending on what it is you're doing. Um, there needs to be contracts for anything that you're doing where money changes hands. End of story. And sometimes you should have a contract even if money doesn't change hands because there might be something else uh, that's changing hands instead of money. But at its core, a contract should simply be if someone is paying you in some way, shape, or form for your services or for a product like a video, then you need to have a contract. And in this contract, you need to define what it is that you are receiving and what it is you are giving. If you're receiving money, then you need to state that. If you're receiving a product, then you need to state that. And then you need to state what it is that you are giving in return for that. And from there, you need to break it out into details. And the devil is in the details in contracts, guys. If you don't have these details ironed out, then you're leaving it to a whole bunch of gray space and a whole bunch of, well, this is what I thought, or this is what I thought. And, and you don't want that. You want a contract to be black and white. You want either party or even a third party to be able to look at the contract and say, well, this is easy. You know, you paid X amount of money or paid this for this, and this is exactly what they're supposed to give you in this amount of time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It should be very easy to read and, and very black and white. You don't want gray space. What I'm going to do is, is I'm going to walk you through my contract. I'm not going to tell you every little detail in my contract because A, that would be boring, <laughs> and B, um, there are some things in there that are unique to my business. However, I'm going to kind of walk you through roughly what my contracts consist of and why I have those different things in my contracts. So first and foremost, I start off the process of giving a contract like this. If someone approaches me for a job, you know, whether it's a real estate video or a commercial for a company that's going to be televised or a short film or, or an event shoot, you know, whatever it is, when someone approaches me about a job or even if I approach them about a job, I create a proposal and in that proposal, I kind of outline, you know, who I am, what I do, what I'm good at, how I'm going to help you, um, or how my product's going to help you, what my product is, and kind of a rough schedule of when I plan to do things, how long it's going to take, all that. All that's in my proposal. I have uh, testimonials in my proposal. I have all these different things. And then in my proposal, I have the quote and the contract. And if when a business or a person or whomever I'm sending the, con the proposal to looks at it and accepts my bid, you know, they like what they see, then they will electronically sign my contract 
and the project will begin. And that's pretty much the process. So what I'm gonna be going through are the terms and conditions portion of my proposal, essentially. This is what you'd find at the bottom of a, of a proposal I send to a client, and if they accept my proposal, then they'll sign the bottom of the con contract, which is below my terms and conditions. So that kind of lets you know where we are. We, we've already, this is if we've already delivered a proposal to a client, this is the terms and conditions at the bottom of that proposal. I start my terms and conditions off like this. The very first thing I have is quote. I have a paragraph that's all about the quote. And for me, I, I start off by saying how long this quote is effective for. I don't want to send a proposal out to someone and then have a year to think about it um, because I don't know what I'm going to be doing in a year. In a year, maybe I'm not in business. <laughs> or in a year, maybe I'm working on much bigger projects and this project that I'm giving the proposal out or uh, isn't worth my time anymore. So I don't want to send out a proposal and have them be able to sit on it and think about it for two, three, four, six, eight, ten months. I give them a limit, and it says, you know, the terms of this quote are effective for X amount of days after presentation. And what I'm basically doing is I'm saying, hey, you have 14 days or 10 days or three weeks or whatever it is to look at this contract and either accept or deny, or look at the proposal with the contract and either accept it or deny it. And once that period is gone, um, if they still want to do business with me, I'll have to resend the, the proposal or contract to them because this one's no longer valid. And that's a good thing to have in place because it kind of makes sure that um, they can't sit on it and think about it for forever and come back to you six months down the road and say, hey, okay, we're ready. We, we signed the proposal. And you're like, well, crap. I'm, I can't do that now. I'm, I'm too busy. So I start mine off by saying, you know, the terms of this quote are effective for X amount of days so that they know that there's a time limit to this proposal. Then further on in that quote, um, it says, you know, upon acceptance, this will constitute an agreement between my company, Rustic River Media, and their company, uh, whatever their name is. And, and then in there, I, I outline that says, you know, the, the event, in the event this agreement is not executed within the time allotted, the quote um, essentially is uh, may subject to be uh, amended, changed, or substituted. Basically, that's just backing up what it says at the beginning. You know, here's your quote. You have this amount of days um, after presentation to look it over. And if you have not um, looked it over or accepted it by th those days, then... Uh, this contract's no longer valid. So that's pretty much all my very first part of the contract says. The next part is expenses. Says it, for me, it, mine says expenses for this project include blank. And in there, I'll fill in what all the expenses are. And I'm really careful to outline the expenses. Um, if there are and, and most of these expenses are already outlined in, or all of them should be outlined already and covered in the, the, the quote, which is in the proposal. Because remember, my terms and conditions are below the proposal. So I've already outlined what my expenses are, but I'm kind of re-outlining them here. I'm making sure that it is understood that these are what the expenses are. And for me, I'll include things like um, X amount of miles of travel, um, how many songs they're getting, how many terabytes of storage space I'm going to use to store their, their projects on, um, how many graphic effects I'm going to give them, uh, what kind of, how many sound effects I'm going to give them, any airfare or baggage fees if I'm traveling out of state or out of country, um, all that's outlined. Any film permits, if we have to have film permits, those expenses are outlined. Um, 
basically in the expenses portion, I break down any expense that it costs me to do this job for the client. Because those, those expenses aren't, they're not my expense. It's like a home builder. You know, the home builder, if a home builder is building a house, he's not responsible for, responsible for buying the materials to build the house. Because if he was, he wouldn't make that much money. The home builder is, he may be purchasing the expenses out of his own account, but he's going to be reimbursed for it, right? So it's his expenses to build the job. And a video is no different. You know, if I have to fly somewhere and buy a film permit or get a film permit and pay for baggage fees and hotel and a rental car, and and if I have to hire a second shooter and rent a specific piece of equipment because you asked me to, you know, those are those are expenses for your job, not not for not mine. I'm not responsible for that. But I'm careful to outline what these expenses are. That way, if there's an unknown expense that pops up that we didn't think about or that they didn't think about, we can discuss that. And, I, and I'll get to that in a minute. But it's important that you outline all the expenses that you could possibly think are going to happen over, this con- over the course of this project, and you outline those expenses. Because if you don't do that, you could... And, and, and you quote a job for $2,500 to shoot a commercial for someone locally, you know, web video, and you didn't outline that expenses were included, or you said expenses are included, but you didn't say what the expenses are, then, then there can be a lot of issues that, that come up. I ran into this earlier in my, in my career. It was one of the first big commercial projects I ever did, and I said the, the project was $5,000 plus expenses, and the client you know, agreed to it. But then later on, the expenses started getting um, really heavy because the client wanted to, he wanted to have the project shot at several different locations and we had to rent the locations, the time that we were going to spend at the locations and he wanted actors and all this stuff. And so the expenses started mounting and the client finally said to me, hey, like this, this project's getting really expensive. And I was like, yeah, I know. And you know, but, um, but you got to cover all those expenses. And he's like, well, I didn't know it was going to cost this much. And so it created a little bit of tension. Now Mike, that client and I are great friends. And now, and after that project, everything turned out great. But I learned from that experience that it's very important to outline as best you can what those expenses are and put a rough amount to those expenses. And then if it goes over that amount, or if they add expenses that are not in the contract, then you can bring that up at that point in time so your client is aware, hey, I know you really wanted me to, um, I know you really wanted me to include this product or you really wanted me to hire a voiceover artist, but that was not in, outlined in our contract. So we can do that if you want, but I just need you to understand this is an extra cost and it's going to cost you blank. That way your your client at that point has the option of saying, well, I understand. I'm, I want the voiceover though, so I'm willing to pay $350. Or the client might say, hey, you know what? Um, if that's not included in the cost, I really don't want to spend any more money. So let's just not worry about doing a, a voiceover. And that's okay. Like it, that's what you want. You want to outline everything that you are including as an expense so that there's no gray area. And so that when something like that comes up, it can be, uh, it can be a conversation and not an issue, if that makes sense. So on the expenses portion of my contract, I say expenses for this project include blank. And I, I spell it out. I say everything that they're getting. And then I include a second sentence that says any expenses requested by blank company outside of those stated in this quote, such as, and I give some examples, will be billed separately at the time of the request, which is basically what I just told you a couple minutes ago. Essentially, here's what you're getting. These are the expenses that are included. And if you have any expenses on top of these that you would like to add at any point in time, um, 
those will be those are not included and they'll be billed separately at the time of the request. That's all it is. Just making sure that they know that. Next up is the product. This is really important. In my proposal, I'm already kind of telling them what it is the job is and what it is we're going to give them. But in the terms and conditions, I want to make sure I completely spell out exactly what it is that they're purchasing so that they know what the product is. This, this is one of the most important parts of the contract because this is what can help you clear up a lot of that gray area of who's getting what. And so I want to make sure that when I'm doing a job for a client that they don't come back later and say, well, I thought I was getting five videos or I thought my video was going to be this long. This is where I make sure they understand what it is they're buying. So let's say, and this is a real job. I had a, I had a, I did a job last year for a Toyota dealership in, in San Marcos. So I'm going to quote them on this one. I'm not going to quote the price or anything, but I'm going to use this as an example. So let's say San Marcos Toyota calls me and says, hey, we have an event coming up on Saturday we'd like you to cover. We're, um, we're having an organization come here and we're donating box fans to give out to, pe to elderly people in the community who can't afford um, AC in their houses in the summertime. So people are donating fans and we're going to take them and deliver them out to the community. We would like you to come cover this event and make a video about it. And... We want the video to be two to three minutes long. And while you're here, we want you to also get some testimonials from some of our customers um, that we video testimonials that we can put online on our website, on our uh, Facebook and on our Instagram. So in the product portion of the contract, I would say San Marcos Toyota is purchasing four products. One, two to three minute long event video shot on Saturday X date and three video testimonials up to 60 seconds in length. Done. Like, that's it. I'm just defined what it is they're buying. They're buying four products. One is a two to three minute long event video that's shot on X date. And the other three are video testimonials up to 60 seconds in length. And then underneath that, it says any additional products requested by San Marcos Toyota not included in this proposal will come at a separate cost. If San Marcos Toyota requests at any time to add products to this project, such as blank, 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 or blank, Rustic River Media will quote the additional work um, to San Marcos Toyota in a separate contract. Now, easier way to say that is in a second paragraph, I just simply say if they want to add additional products that are not included in this proposal, it will come at a separate cost. That's all that's saying. I just want to make sure that people know when they hire me, this is what they're getting. And if they want extra videos made or extra things, it's separate, kind of like the expenses we went over a minute ago. I want to make sure that people understand when they purchase four videos from me that that's all they're getting. If they say, hey, you know, if they tell me at the job that's during during the Saturday event shoot, if they approach me and say, hey, this is turning out great. While you're here, I would like it if you'd go ahead and uh, shoot some video interviews of our employees and we'll make some extra videos out of those. Well, this makes sure that they know going in that that's an extra cost. I don't want them to come back later and say, well, well hey, I, I asked you for those videos. Why aren't you just giving them to me? You know, you already shot them. Like, no, it's just, those are additional products. They need to understand that. And this, this defines it. And it, again, this preserves a relationship. Because if I didn't have this outlined and, I'm, and all I said was, yeah, you know, we're going to come shoot the event and make some videos for you, then they might say, hey, you said you were going to make videos. You never said how many or, or anything like that. And it creates a problem. And then there's tension. And when there's tension, that's not good for your relationship. 
So it's really important you outline, this is exactly what you're getting. And if you want to add videos, you can, but it's going to cost you um, separately. And it will be quoted to you separately whenever you request it. That's all that's saying. Again, guys, you don't want gray area. You want no gray area, all black and white. And if you give that, if you give this to them in a black and white um, spelled out terms and conditions or contract, then it preserves relationships because everyone knows what's going on. Next up, this is really important. This is timing. In mine, this is a simple one sentence. It just says all suggested time frames should be recognized as targets and are subject to change based on schedule, availability of participants, as well as timely review and approval of deliverables. Now you're probably scratching your head thinking, well, that's a lot of it's a lot of words, and it is, but essentially all I'm saying is, is that in my proposal, I outlined how long it what the estimated time was gonna be. If I'm shooting an event, um, and I think it's going to take me three weeks because I'm, you know, I've got other stuff going on and I think it's going to take me three weeks to turn around the products. Then in my proposal, I have stated how many weeks or, you know, what that timeline is. I have it say, saying in my proposal, what the date of the event shoot will be, you know, what day production will take place. And then it says in my proposal, estimated timeline is three weeks from the end of production. That way they know in my proposal, when they're reading my proposal, they know that I'm proposing to do this job for them, come and shoot it on the date, but my estimated timeline to turn around the projects or the deliverables is going to be three weeks after the shoot takes place. That's all in my proposal. Well, in my terms and conditions, because it's attached to my proposal, it all it's saying is, and that under timing, is just simply that these time frames are recognized as targets and are subject to change. That's essentially all it's saying. And the reason why I have that in there is what happens if what happens if I can't get it done in three weeks because they have something that comes up? You know, what if what if we shoot the event, um, but some of the participants that we were supposed to film for the testimonials weren't able to make it to the event? And San Marcos Toyota asked me if I could come back up a couple days later and shoot those then or a week later and shoot it then. And maybe they even, you know, they, they agreed to pay me to come back and shoot them. Um, I want to make sure that they understand that if something like that happens, then that's going to change our delivery date because I can't get started on everything right away. You know, or what happens if they go out of town, something happens and and uh, I'm waiting on them to send me the logos, but they never send me their logo. And I'm just sitting around the office waiting on the logo to come and two, three weeks pass and I still don't have the logo and I can't finish their project without the logo. Well, this protects me. It just simply says that, hey, you know, up in the proposal, I've outlined what the, the, the estimated time should be. However, those are targets and they're subject to change based on X, Y, and Z. And that's all it is. You want to make sure you cover that so that if for some reason you are unable to deliver the project within the allotted time because of something that's out of your control, you're covered. Next up is financing. This is where I spell out kind of how um, how the, the project is going to be built. People do this all different ways, but one of the most common ways in the video production, which is the way I do it, is projects are invoiced two times, 50% upon signing and 50% upon completion of the products. Like essentially that's what it is. And my, I have more jargon written in there, more legal jargon than I need to cover today. Um, but essentially under financing, it's just, I'm spelling out how payments are going to work. Now it doesn't always work this way because sometimes maybe I'm, maybe I want 50% up front. So there's one payment, but maybe the, the project products are going to be delivered 
separately. Maybe they're hiring me to shoot the event and they want me to edit the event video right away, but then maybe they want me to do not do the testimonials for a while because they got something else going on and they want to hold off on those until, you know, another date. Then I want to I don't want to have to wait until that other date to get paid, right? So if that if I know going into it that that's going to happen, then I might say project is invoiced three times. Um 50% up front, X amount after the first video is done and the rest after the testimonials are done. You see what I mean? I'm basically just breaking down the financing. For nine, 90% of the projects I do, it's simple. 50% up upon signing of the contract and 50% upon completion of the product. Um, but there are times where things might change, you know, uh, and, and it's important to spell that out. And a good example of that is um, one of my clients in Alaska that I do video marketing and photo marketing for, um, they might hire me to come out and shoot photographs, but they might also be hiring me to do um, social media marketing for them for a year. And if I have all that in one proposal, then I'll have the project, how the invoices are going to take place spelled out. Okay, you're going to pay me 50% um, up front for the photo shoot, and then the other 50% of the photo shoot once um, I'm back and have edited the photos. And then you're also going to pay me um, monthly for social media at the beginning of every month. You know, I break all that down here. So basically, you can do this however you want. Um, but for me, I just I have a financing portion and I just spell out how the financing is going to take place. And again, for me, typically it's 50% up front, 50% after completion. Um, but if you just think it through, you don't want to get not get paid for six months because um, you're doing so many videos and and the last one can't be completed till six months down the road. So it's important under financing to break down and structure the structure of how the payments are going to take place so that you are getting money when you need it. And that's that's what that needs to be outlined in your proposal. That's not something you just tell them. You need to spell that out so there's no questions. And then at the the last sentence I have under financing is all payments are non-refundable. Guys, that's a very important sentence to have. It's in there. It's you can't argue it. All payments are non-refundable. Now, I don't spell this out in my contract, but I'm just telling you this. If something comes up on my end, my a close friend passes away, a family member passes away, I break my leg. You know, you never know. Stuff happens. This is life after all. If something happens on my end and I, for some reason, am not able to complete the project, then at that point, I will refund my customer their money. I'm not that kind of person, and I don't think you should be either. But for the vast majority of everything, it's not refundable. And and also, I am a human being. If someone, you know, if my, if my client suffers a really major heart attack or has a family member pass away, I'm going to be reasonable with them too. And I'm going to give them their money back because, hey, that sucks. And I want to be there for you. And as a Christian, I want to do the right thing. And I want to be there for you because right now that is more important than this project and the money or anything like that. However, for the vast majority of things, I, uh, it, all payments are non-refundable. And I have that in in my contract. And and you may ask, like, well, why, why do you even need to spell that out? Well, it's important because what if someone gives you a 50% deposit, but then later on they decide, hey, you know what? We don't want to do this anymore. Well, you're about to start the project and you have no <laughs> you have no other work booked and now you're just going to give that money back. And what happens if you already spent it? 
Or, you know, what if you were depending on that to cover food for the next couple weeks because you thought you were booked for this project? If they take that from you, you are now you're now screwed, right? So it's important that you outline that it's non-refundable and you don't just rely on them doing the job. If you're signing this contract, like you are signed, like you are signing up to do this job, like end of story. Like once you sign this, we are agreed into a contract and that contract is going to happen. These payments are non-refundable. That's what this does. This binds them to the job and it ensures your safety and, and, upon getting your safety as far as like getting the money and making sure that you're able to at least keep the money that they booked you with. And it's, it just mitigates and gets rid of some of that risk, if that makes sense. Next up is invoices. I like to have this spelled out. This is one of those things that I, I didn't used to have in my contract, um, but it's now in my contract because of an unfortunate circumstance I ran into. Um, in my invoices, I'll, mine are, mine are kind of two sentences, and I'll sum them up. One basically says invoices are paid upon receipt or within 14 days of receipt, and then it says author author's alterations will be invoiced separately, and we'll get to what that is in a minute. Basically, I'm just telling them, kind of like my invoice from QuickBooks would say, due upon receipt or within 14 days of receipt. Easy, right? Then I have a second sentence, and this is one. This one's a little bit more touchy. It says invoices that are not paid within X amount of time are subject to a penalty fee of X percent of that invoice for every week past the due date until that payment has been paid in full. Now, what that essentially is, the whole pair, the whole two sentences essentially, or I guess it's three sentences, what it's, what it's saying is this. When I send you an invoice, you can either pay it upon receipt or within 14 days of receipt. If you do not do that, every single week that passes that you don't pay me, you are subject to a penalty fee of X percent. I typically have 5%. And the reason I do that is I had a job once where I completed the job and the customer was really happy and I sent the project over to them. Everything was great, but then I didn't get paid. And I didn't get paid, and I didn't get paid, and I didn't get paid. And then like two months went by, and uh, my father-in-law was in the truck with me one day. We were running an errand, and I said, hey, Eric, you know what? You mind running an errand with me? He said, what you got? And I said, we need to go track somebody down and get some money. He's like, oh, let's do it. <laughs> and we rolled up to this place, and we went in, and I basically was like, hey, man, um, good to see you, and where's my money? And I hate doing that. And if you're listening to this podcast, and you've been doing this for a while, I bet you've ran into this before. It's not fun. You don't want to go chasing down money. But I finally got that guy to pay me. But guys, months had went by and I needed that. The job was done. And so in my contract, now I have a thing that says, if you don't pay me, you're going to get penalized for every week that passes. So when I went to them, he would have had like, you know, eight weeks past the, 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 the due date. And I would have, I would have had a, a penalty fee for that. And because I give them in my contract a timeline on when they need to pay me by, and because I say in there that if they don't pay me, there'll be a penalty fee, if I ever had to go to court to get money from someone, and guys, this is something I've never had to do, and I hope and I pray I never have to do it, but if I ever had to go to court, small claims court or regular court, because I have this in here, I can go to court and say, hey, you know, they knew that they had to pay me by X amount of date, um, and they agreed to when they signed the contract, but they didn't do it, and this is how long it's been. Well, now I have something that I can stand on, and so I could send them a letter of intent 
to pressure them into paying me. And then if they don't do it at that point, then we could go to court. And I have a really solid contract here to back me up. Now, guys, again, I have never been in that situation and I pray and hope I never run into that, but it does unfortunately happen. And so it's important in a contract that you outline kind of how your invoicing works. And um, if, if, you're, if you're like me and you want to penalize them, then you put that in there too. And Guys, that's, a, that's pretty common if you think about it. I mean, think of how many places you've gone where you've seen, hey, if you haven't done this, you'll be penalized. So that's not an uncommon thing to do. I put it in my contract because I want to make sure that my clients don't ever try to withhold a payment for X amount of time. Because And it might not even be that they're withholding the payment. Maybe to them, they're just too busy or you know they'll get to it when they get to it. But that's not good enough for me. You know, I'm a small business owner. These payments matter. You know, So it's important to me as a professional that I get paid when I complete a job. And this just makes sure that they do that. Next up is author's alterations. In the invoices section, my first sentence says that author's alterations um, see below will be invoiced separately. Well, this is what these alterations are. Alter, author's alterations basically are if they add, if the client adds additional steps or additional changes that were not in the proposal, then those will be, um, those will be quoted as a new project or be quoted um, as, as extra to the project and will be billed at the time of the request. And it's important that you have this in there because I'm basically telling my client, like in the in this in the paragraph before, I'm saying, hey, this is how my invoicing works. You already know what you're buying. But if you tell me, hey, you know what, I decided I want to make that five minute short film a 10 minute short film, or I decided I want to add six extra days of filming while you're here at this ranch, I'm making sure that they understand that that's an alteration to this contract. And when you do that, there's gonna this is you know, we're going to quote you at that time the additional cost. And then it says at the bottom that author's alterations may extend or modify the final delivery schedule. And that's just making sure that people understand, hey, if you add days of filming and you add, you know, minutes to the project or another video, this goes back to timing that we talked about earlier, that changes the estimated delivery date more than likely. And so this is just basically saying it's just a paragraph that just simply says that if you change anything or add anything that was not in this contract, um, then there will be that comes at an additional price, and you uh, that will be quoted separately and will probably modify the final delivery schedule. That's all that that all that's all that's saying in that um, paragraph. Next up is video revisions. This is another important one. Um, I know this is a podcast, but raise your hands, guys. I don't care where you are. If you're in your truck or you're running or whatever you're doing, and you're listening to this podcast, raise your hands if you've ever had a client give like 10,000 revisions to a video. <laughs> you know who you are, and you're probably every single one of you who this podcast has been through this. This just simply tells the client, hey, you are allowed two full rounds of emailed I'll get to that in a second. Email revision revision request for the video before final approval, and any additional changes will be pre-quoted and billed at per hour at X amount of money per hour. And then something that I add to the end is these two rounds exclude any error um, to, to Rustic River Media, essentially, which is like misspelling, misrequests, things like that. So let me break that down for you. Essentially, I'm telling my client, you have two rounds of revisions and you must email 
me what those revisions are. Why is this important? I don't want them to say, hey, I told you I wanted you to do this one thing, and me say, no, you didn't. No, is go back to email. Everything's better in writing. So if they want something changed, they email it. Even if they tell me on the phone, I'll say, hey, great, could you sum that up in an email for me? Then they'll email it to me. And in the email, it says, hey, I want you to add a phone number. I want you to change the color of this. And can we change this other thing out? So that's one emailed revision request. They have up to two of those. And if they want anything outside of that, I just tell them in my contract that, that at that point, once you've passed your two, two rounds, then you'll be, you will be uh, pre-quoted and billed per hour. So I'll just tell them, hey, you've already had two rounds of revisions. Like, you know, I know you want me to make even more changes, um, but if you want me to make those, I can do it. However, it's going to take me five hours and I'm going to charge you $100 an hour, for instance. So I'll be an extra 500 bucks. So this is just covering your basis here. This is a really important thing to have in your contract because if you don't have this in your contract, your clients could be making changes till the end of time. You don't want that. It's, your time is valuable, guys. You don't want a $2,500 video turning into a $25,000 video because you spend eight weeks trying to make changes for your client. It's really important that you break this down this way. Now, if they want to pay you for eight weeks worth of changes, by all means, let's go out and have a drink because you're going to be making some money on your hourly rate here. But you don't want your client to constantly change their mind about things. Well, I thought I wanted my email. Ah, I changed my mind. I don't want it anymore. Actually, let's put my phone number in there. Oh, you know what? Just use this logo instead. This makes sure that they know, hey, if you want revisions, you better think them through and email them to me because you only got two chances. Now, I also, in my last sentence, like I said, and I'll read this a second time, it says, these two rounds exclude any revisions due to Rustic River Media's own editing error, misspelling, misrequest, etc. That's important too because it lets my client know that if I screw something up, if you if you say, hey man, you spelt the street name wrong or you put the wrong phone number in there or something like that and it's my fault, that's on me. I'm not going to count that against their video revisions because that's not fair to them. So I outline that in there so they know that I'm not going to I'm not gonna count something like that as a revision. Um, I also have in there, um, and and again, I have some more spelled out things, but that's not important for the podcast. But under video revisions, I also have a clause that basically says that once we've provided a rough draft of a product, the company has seven days to review and approve or request revisions to the product. And then it says if the company does not review the product, and approve it or request changes within that allotted time, then the project is satisfactory and I'm gonna send in the invoice. Now, you may be asking, what exactly does that mean? Here's what this means. I had an, is another, again, another time I ran into. And guys, if you've been in business, you're gonna run into these things. It's not, it doesn't matter how good of a person you are or how great of a business you have. It's just part of doing business, you run into things. I had a customer one time, great customer, and we're still good friends. I really like this customer. But the customer, I sent them the video, and I was waiting on them to approve it, and it took them like eight weeks to get to to reviewing the video. And this is different from the client who didn't pay me. This was just someone who was just busy. They were constantly, hey, man, I hadn't had time to, to watch it yet. I've been on the road, or I've been doing this, or I've been doing that. Well, guys, at some point, it's kind of ridiculous. Like, how long does it take to watch a three-minute video and tell me if you want changes or if it's approved? Like, come on, you've had three minutes. You can watch it when you're taking a shower or something. I mean, there's <laughs> there's no excuse not to have watched a quick video. So, and I, I shouldn't have to not get paid for that period of time because you just haven't 
given this the time to look at it. So I tell them in my contract that they have seven days to review and approve it. And if those seven days pass and I haven't heard from you, then it's assumed it, that the product is considered satisfactory and I'm sending a final invoice and this project's done. You know, you missed out. You should have gotten back to me within the seven days. Now, again, if something comes up, the client says, hey, you know, my wife had her baby. Dude, I totally get that. I'm going to be reasonable. But this just basically covers my grounds for those those times when a client's just not giving you the time of day because they're too busy doing their own thing and you need to get, you know, you need to, you need to close this project, move on. So this just kind of makes sure that they do that. I also have a thing in here that, and this is another important thing, um, but I have in my, in my contracts where it says that, you know, once a, um, once a, all, like once a project is done, it's done. Like I, I have that under video revisions as well. And it just says basically like once you've given me final approval and I want that via email too, not phone. Like if someone approves a video and says, Hey, you know what? It's great. I love it. We're done. Then they email me. I want them to email me, email me that and say, okay, Hey man, we shoot that over an email. So we have that in writing. So that just basically lets me know that the video is complete. But guys, I have it written here that once the video is done, it is done. If you have not used your two revisions, it doesn't matter. You can't call me up a year later and say, hey, you remember those two rounds of revisions? Like, I never ended up using them, and I ended up moving and changing my address, and I've got a new phone number and a new logo, so I'd like you to open up the project and do them now. No, the project's done. I'm in Africa working on something else. I ain't doing that. So I have it written in my revisions that final approval must be given um, in writing via email and any changes requested by the customer um, any, at any time after final proven, final approval has been given will be quoted as an additional cost. I've ran into this a couple times. I've had clients, again, clients that are good, good clients of mine, but call me up and say, hey, remember that video you did a while back? I want you to go in and make some changes to it. And I'm just like, okay, I'll make changes. But, you know, like I have to get paid for that because I'm in the middle of a bunch of other stuff. I can't just, you know, go back and work on on your video for you, you know, I don't tell them like that, but that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I just say, you know, yeah, sure, I'd be happy to do that for you. It costs X amount. But if they were to ask me, well, why do I have to pay extra? Then I can point to the contract and say, well, you know, it's because the video is completed. And we're basically starting a new project at this point, albeit maybe it's a small project because we're changing out a few things, but it's a new project. So I just basically have that written down. Just keeps your clients from calling you up five years down the road, wanting you to swap a logo out and expecting you to do it for nothing. And don't kid yourself, guys, that will happen. Rights and ownership. Half of you probably listen to this podcast because you want to know who owns what. Well, let me shoot it to you this way. It just depends on the job. <laughs> it really just depends on the job. 95% of all projects I do, I own the raw content. The customer owns the final product. Simply put, that's how it works. Now, is that every case? No. So I said 95%. If I'm shooting for a television show and I'm just handing the product, the product is the raw content and I'm handing that off to them, then they own the raw content and I put that in my contract. If I'm shooting, like when I shot stock footage for eBay, you know, I, the whole point of eBay hiring me was so that they could have a bunch of stock footage. Well, I'm going to let them own that stock footage and I have that written down in the rights and ownership. But 
the vast majority of work I get hired to do, I get hired to take a project from concept to final production. I get hired to, to come in and design a video, shoot the video, edit the video, and hand it off. And at that point, what, what you've purchased from me is the video or X amount of videos, and that's your final product, um, and you own that. But I own the rights to the video, the raw footage, I mean, and the raw audio, and anything that I created to create that video, I own, I own that. Why is that important? Well, there's a lot of reasons, and not every not every company does this. Some companies uh, and some people feel that um, if someone's paying you to do a job, then um, they're they own everything. And some people do that. But guys, believe it or not, the vast majority of video production companies out there will own the raw content and give the the final product the rights to the final product to the purchasing per, bleh, person purchasing it. In fact. You may think this is crazy, but you would be shocked at the amount of companies out there that not only will own the raw content when they shoot for someone, but they'll also own the final product and the customer is just leasing the product. In fact, a lot, a lot, a lot of photographers do this. You know, when a lot of wedding photographers own all the raw content and the finished photos and they're just leasing the rights out to the client to print them and put them in their house and post them on social media. Um, so it kind of just depends on who you are and what you want to do. You can kind of, I mean, it's your company. You can write this contract any way you want. Um, now it doesn't mean your customer will accept what you write, (laughs) but you can draft this in whatever way you feel comfortable with. For me personally, I feel comfortable giving the rights and ownership of the final product to the customer, but I want to own the raw content. And that's because I use the raw content for a variety of things. Um, and we'll get to that here in a minute too, but who owns it is important and you need to define that in the contract. You have to, guys, you have to. You do not want, you do not want a client to call you later on and to say, where's all the raw content? And you say, well, I wanted to own all that. I own all that. I shot it. Well, that creates issues, guys. You don't want gray areas. Define this, not just a, not just a video, photos, um, behind the scenes stuff you take, audio, all of it, all of it matters. You need to have that defined in the contract. Now, guys, again, 95% of the time, I own the raw content and the client owns the final product. But there are some customers I work with where I give them the ownership of the raw content and the final product, and I just reserve the rights to use both. And we'll get to that in a minute. But the point is, is you need to figure out who owns what, and you need to define that in your contract so there's no gray area. Also, I have it written down in my contract under rights and ownership. I have a little clause, a paragraph that basically says that the company or person I'm working with, all materials that they supply me and my company, um, they own the rights to and or have the rights to use them. And if they do not own that or they do not have the rights, then they um, will defend me um, and hold me harmless in court over any lawsuit that comes up. And I have that written down nice and and all law looking and it looks all good and on paper. But basically all this is saying is, is that if a client gives you a logo or they gives you some give you something to use, a graphic or or whatever it is, maybe they have an original song they want you to use. This is just saying that, hey, anything that they give me 
they own they either own it or they have the rights to use it and if for some reason something happens and they get in trouble for using this graphic or using this music or whatever it is i'm not liable for getting any trouble and the client will hold me harmless and the client will fight that battle on their own and they'll take responsibility like that's what this says and you may not think that that matters but what if someone says hey i have the rights from coca-cola to use their um, logos in my video, but then later on you find out that's actually not true and Coca-Cola wants a cut from everything we've done or just simply wants to sue. I don't want to get in trouble over that. They're the ones who told me they had the rights. So hey, if they tell me they have the rights to something or they own something, that's fine. But in here, just know that if anything happens, you're the one who gets in trouble, not me. So next up, client alterations. Earlier, we had author's alterations. We are the author's, guys, kind of like writing a book. We are the author's, and the alterations that we talked about earlier are basically if the customer um, you know, wants us to make changes on a video we, uh, and, and amend the product. Um, we talked about that earlier. But now let's talk about clients' own, their alterations, client alterations. What client alterations mean, and this is something I've, I've recently put in my contracts, is when I hand a, a video file or, or whatever it is I'm handing off to a client that they agree not to alter the video product in any way by themselves or through a third party. And then I go on to say what those kind of things are, like it includes but are not limited to manipulating the color, adding graphics, cutting the length, adding to the length, adding music or sound effects, or using the product to create an additional video product. Even if I give them rights and ownership, 98% of the time, it says under rights and ownership on my contracts that even if I'm giving them ownership of the video final product, it's ownership with the exception of client alterations. And these are those client alterations. And basically all it says is, is that I'm giving you the rights to own this content. It's your content with the exception of you cannot alter it. Now, why is that important? You can ask some video friends of mine and they'll tell you. Um, it just happens that a client might hire you to do a video and then maybe they are, you spend hours color grading it and you're using a calibrated monitor and all this stuff and, and everyone knows you created this video and they like it, but they realize an Instagram filter all of a sudden makes the video pop more and they drop it on Instagram with an Instagram filter and in their head, it looks all poppy and more colorful. But you as the creator knows, hey, that looks horrible. I don't want people to think I colored that video. Oh my gosh, I don't want my name any, anywhere around that video. That looks terrible. Well, this keeps them from doing that. Um, it keeps them from taking the video elsewhere and saying, hey, you know what? Thanks for making this video. I'm actually gonna cut it up and have another editor edit edit and use it for parts of another video. It keeps them from doing that. It keeps them from adding things to it or taking things away from it. If they hire you to do a video and you complete the video for them and they approve the product, that's it. That's their product. They cannot alter the product unless they go through you. That's the way I have it written in my contract. If they want to alter that product, they want to change the color, they want to add graphics, they want to make the video shorter or longer or insert it into another video. If they want to do that, the only way they can do it is to come through me and ask me to do it and pay me to do it. Otherwise, they can't alter it. They may own it, but they cannot alter it. Now, is every contract gonna have that in there? Probably not, but a lot of contracts will. 
And this is something I recently put in mind because I wanted to make, I ran into an instance where a customer um, changed something later on and it looked really bad. <laughs> and I wanna make sure that they can't do that moving forward. So in my contract, basically it's just saying, hey, you can't alter it unless you ask me and go through me. And this is important. Now, some of you listening to this might think, well, I don't think that's fair, they own it. Well, guys, they agreed to it. Fair or not, if they sign my contract, they agree to the fact that they may own it, but they can't change it. That's As a creator, that's the way I want it written because I wanna make sure that they don't screw something up and make my company look bad. And I, I just don't want them to take that product elsewhere. Like I created that product. Don't take it elsewhere and have someone else work on it either. You know, so this is, cause that's my content. You know, like I created that. You may own it, but I created it. I'm the creator. So like I, that's why I have this client alterations clause in my contract. Also, I have in my contract release of the art files. This is the next thing. Release of the art files basically says when when, when I have sent you the product and you have approved it, I will give you the product within 48 hours of you paying the final invoice. So how does this work? Typically, when someone hires me to do a video, I upload that video to a private link, a hidden link that's private on Vimeo, so only the customer and I can see it, and I send the link to them for approval, but I have it set on Vimeo. I check the box. It says you cannot download the video. No one can download that video. So when I'm sending it to them, they can view it, but they cannot download it. It's kind of like a photographer who sends off proofs with a watermark on the video or on the photos, right? Very similar to that. I'm sending it to the client. They can view it, but they cannot download it. So they can, they can view it and approve it, make sure they like it, but that's it. I will not send them a copy that they can download and distribute on their own on their own websites or their own social media sites or wherever until they pay me. And then once they pay me within 48 hours, I will have that sent to them. And I have that under my release of the art files clause. And I say 48 hours to give myself a little bit of time in case it's like a weekend or I'm out of town or something. But essentially saying once you pay me, I'll then release the files, the raw, the, uh, the actual finished product to you. Promotions. This kind of goes back to rights and ownership. Under promotions, it basically says that um, Rustic River Media or my company retains the right indefinitely, and that's important, indefinitely to publish and display the final deliverables in my own portfolios, websites, galleries, etc., um, and to be credited with authorship of those deliverables. It also says that Rustic River Media retains the right indefinitely to use select raw video clips, photographs, graphics, audio files, etc., and future demo reels or um, creative products or things like that. The reason why I have this in there is um, it basically earlier, even though I'm giving the rights of the product, the final product to the customer, and this promotions clause, it's saying that yes, I'm giving you the rights, you own the product, but I retain the right indefinitely, forever to publish and put that product in my own website or on my own social media pages, etc. It's really important because this is how I get work. If I go out and I com com complete a commercial for a local company, I want to be able to display that. That's my hard work. That's how I'm going to get more work is put that out there for the world to see so I can show people what I've done. That is how I get work. So even if they own it, I need to have something in here that says that I can, I can go out and 
and uh, distribute that to my own places and use that for my own marketing purposes. So like, yeah, they may own it, but I have the right to go put it out there. And this is something that I have in writing. I don't want a customer to come to me later on and say, hey, why did you put that on your website? Well, hey, you know, I have it written down. You know, it says that I have the right to do that. And then I also have the, the, the raw file right too. Um, even if I own the raw files, uh, you know, I said earlier that 90% of the time or 95, I guess 95% of the time, I own the raw content, they own the final product. But I also put in here that I'm going to be using those raw files for these different things. So they know that. If you follow Filming with Josh at all, sometimes I'll use raw content from projects to create content for you guys to watch. Um, teaching videos. Maybe I'm taking different shots from different different raw clips from different videos I've done and I'm going to use it to teach you how to color grade. You know, um, I want to retain the right to do that. Maybe I want to take the... The, the raw content and make a promotional video for myself or a commercial for myself. Maybe I want to take the raw content and use it to help another customer with another video. You know, if I've shot at a lot of, a lot of uh, ranches and got a lot of deer footage, but I have a customer who wants me to make a, a product and we need some deer shots, well, because I own the raw content and I put in this clause, I have the rights to use that content. I can take I can take video clips from different, you know, different deer shots I have from different ranches and use it in that video if I want. And this make sure in writing that I, I have said that I have the right to do that. So even if I'm giving my client the final product, I still have the rights to use it. And whether they own the raw content or I do, I always have this in there. So even when I do give a raw content out to a company, um, I typically still keep the rights to use that raw content even if I give them the rights to own it. Um, and this is just important because this is how I use, these are the things I use to promote myself. And I'm sure many of you do that as well. Last thing, guys, uh, for me is contingencies. Basically, I have it stated that if at any time my company or the company I'm working with is unable to complete our roles as stated in the contract, then they have two options available. Um, either one of us can request to extend or modify the project deadline as subject to approval by both parties, or either party can request to terminate the contract as subject to approval by both parties. And, um, and then it's lastly, it says any approved modifications to the project deadline or approved termination of the contract must be delivered in writing um, by both parties. So basically, I'm just simply saying this. If at any time, me or the company that I'm working with realizes they're unable to complete their role as stated in the contract. I'm no longer able to come and shoot the video for some reason, or I no longer am able to edit it for them, or they're no longer having the event that they hired me to shoot. They can request to either terminate the contract or extend the project deadline. Hey, we moved. I know we booked you for these dates, but we had to end up moving the event later on, and they request to move it. I can either approve it, and we both get it in writing, and it's approved to move the project, or I can say no, and then uh, at that point, um, they, they just lose out of the money that they've paid me, because again, earlier it says non-refundable. Um, same thing about termination. Maybe they come to me and say, hey, you know what? I just can't do this anymore for some reason. I can't fulfill the rest of this contract. Can we, can we terminate the contract? And then if I agree, we both sign a termination agreement, and uh, then that's it. So it's important to have this in there. It kind of gives 
you or your client a way out or a way to extend the project if there is ever an issue. And it doesn't just give you a way out, it tells you like how you get out of that or how you extend the contract. So guys, that's basically it. I know it's a lot, um, but it's really important. Contracts are very important. I wanna I state this, I'm not a lawyer, um, but I've worked with a lot of different companies and to modify and make this contract is what it is today. And I've had it looked over by a lot of professionals who um, agree on the things that are in there. And there are other contracts and other clauses you may find out there that are different than mine or, or maybe added to mine or maybe aren't in theirs like I have in mine. Maybe, maybe people don't. And other contracts, you may find someone who doesn't put a contingency clause or things like that. But this is my contract that I've developed over years of doing business, of realizing and running into different situations and different circumstances and having different problems and trying to figure out how to fix those problems. And then I add those into my contract so I can have a remedy for it later on. So this is this contract that I have is through years of experience of running into things or gray areas and trying to take those gray areas and make them black and white. That's essentially what this is. One other thing I want to say, I want to just mention one last thing about rights and ownership. It depends on the state you're in, but in a lot of states, um, the if there is no contract and you're wondering who owns what, in a lot of states, like the state of Texas, the if there is a gray area and it's no contract or anything that defines who owns the raw content, most of the time in most states like Texas, it says that the law says that the creator owns the right to the raw content and the final product. Mind-blowing, right? Um, that's something I've been reading a lot about online. And basically what this just means is if you don't have a contract for some reason and you're wondering who owns the raw content and who owns the final product, if there is no contract, typically the creator is the one who owns it because they created it. Even if they were paid to create it, they still are the creative. They created it. It's theirs, even if they were paid to do so. So now, if you go to court over that, is it worth it? No. I mean, if you go to court and you try to fight that, you could run into some issues and uh, you have to pay a lot of money to try to defend that and blah, 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 blah. But my point of bringing that up is this. It's not because I want you to think you don't have to have a contract or that you can tell people, hey, I actually own all that because I created it and we didn't have a contract. That's not why I'm telling you that. I'm telling you that to tell you this. It is not uncommon for the creator to own the raw content and even the final product, which is why the law states that So, in most states. So it's very important that you outline who owns what but don't be afraid for you to own the raw content or even the finished product because even the law in most states argue in favor of that. So don't be afraid to try to put in your contract that you own the raw content. It is a common, common practice, which is why law reflects that. So don't be scared to put in your contract that you own the raw content. There's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes I don't even, I don't, I don't even like, I just don't even ask my clients about it. I just tell them that they can own the raw content if I know it's a client that will want the raw content, like a big home building company. But most of the time, um, going in, I know I'm going to keep the raw content. I put that in my proposal, and I never really run into issues with it because the client usually just wants the product. That's all I care about. Every once in a while, you'll have someone who asks you about it. And at that point, y'all can talk about it. And either you decide to give them the raw content, but you retain the right to use it, or they just end up agreeing to let you own it and signing that in the contract, or 
y'all just don't agree on anything and you don't work together. But don't be afraid to, to, to own the raw content. It's not a bad thing and it's not an uncommon practice. So don't be afraid of that. I know we went over a lot, guys. And again, there are other things that other companies might have in theirs. This is just what I have in mine. It's important, though, at the end of the day, that you have a contract of some form or fashion that talks about these things. Because if you don't, you are running the risk of having a lot of gray area that can ruin relationships, create problems, and potentially even lawsuits. Contracts preserve friendships and relationships. So make sure you go and get one. Thanks, guys, and take care. To learn more about Rustic River Media, visit us online at rusticriver.media. Thanks for listening to the Filming with Josh podcast. Catch every episode by hitting subscribe today.